Hi guys, I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we are here recording Lost in the Woods. Hopefully everybody's doing well this week. We've had some nice weather here, which has been really We've nice. We've also had some really crappy weather. Yeah, it's too. been a weird week. We had, I think, like two days of pouring down rain. Although the rainy days do help us be more productive with our planning and our podcasting and our cleaning and all those things that we need to get done in our normal boring lives. Yeah. So as you guys know, school's getting ready to start. We have kids here that will be doing their school and they're learning at home. So we're taking the next couple months, seeing how it goes, but we plan on dropping down to three episodes per month during this time. We are kind of sad about it because we love being here every week for you guys. We want to make sure that we're still providing quality episodes for you guys and that my children aren't becoming stupid because they're not being educated. (laughs) Hang in there with us. I know a lot of you are in the same boat. I know a lot of you are feeling the same struggles of the quarantine and everything that's going on. So we just want to make sure that we are continuously being able to provide good quality content. And we're working on additional content. We're working on some behind the scenes stuff. We're really trying to spend our time to give you guys a really quality episode every single week. We've decided the last week of the month will be our catch up research, get all of our stuff done week, and then we'll be right back the first week of the month for you guys. It's only one week a month. So the very last week of the month, we will not drop a new episode, but we'll be right back the following week. So we're so sorry. We just want to make it. We just want more time. We just need more time. We are so sorry. We really, we love being here every single week for you guys. It's just really hard to produce like super quality episodes and give everything to it that we want and still have time to go hiking. And go to work. And Maddie, Maddie's still going to work. So I still work like 60 hours a week. So we love you guys. We're still going to be here for you guys, but we will still post content on our social media. We'll still be posting stuff for you guys. We're just taking one week a month off. Just the last week. That's it. I promise. Oh, I feel so bad. I feel like I'm not even going to be able to do it. Don't yell at us. Tell us you support us. <laughs> We're insecure about this decision. (laughs) Okay. But today, this Parasite episode is coming to you from Glacier National Park, which is in Montana. What episode? Parasite. (laughs) Parasite is like the murder of a close family member. So usually it's a spouse or a parent or a child. Parasite. Who is going to know that? Well, everybody now, because I just had to explain it, I guess. (laughs) I have never heard that used. You've never heard that term? No. It's a real thing, I promise. Are you sure? It sounds made up to me. This sounds fake. Okay, so question of the day, I guess, is did I make up the word parasite just to confuse Madison this morning, or is it a real word? I feel like maybe just because I'm like, she's hungover, I'm throwing a (laughs) curveball. Uh, so you guys can weigh in with your opinion on that if you also haven't heard the word parasite before. But it's real, I promise. Anyway. <laughs> All right. 
So Glacier National Park, it's on the northwestern side of Montana. So it's bordering the Canadian-U.S. border. It's over 1 million acres and has millions of visitors every year. This particular story is about newlyweds Jordan Lynn Graham, who's 22, and Cody Johnson, who's 25. And we're going to give you guys just a little bit of background on them before we get into the story. I can already see where this is going. <laughs> Madison doesn't know anything about this episode. Once again, this is the second week in the world that I know absolutely nothing. Shocking. The couple started dating in November of 2011. They met in Kalispell, Montana. Cody was popular and loved by everyone. He was fun, loving. <laughs> There's so many times he said love, loving and loved. You can take a couple of those loved out. <laughs> I know, you too. He was really loved is the uh, moral of this whole Yeah, thing. yeah. He was described as the sweetest guy that you'd ever meet. He enjoyed shooting and four-wheeling. He was also a car guy. Yep, like a big car guy. He liked to maybe drive cars a little fast. Jordan, on the other hand, was described as quiet. She was considered reserved and shy. She was a nanny by day and dreamed of having kids of her own. She was very religious and spent a lot of time in church. Her parents didn't allow her to start dating until she was 18. Can you imagine? Although I know a lot of people do that, not judging, but oh my gosh. She also didn't believe in premarital sex. Cody was instantly drawn to her natural and pretty nature. Jordan wanted him to go to church with her and he happily agreed. Jordan was a member of Faith Baptist Church. Soon he had more friends at the church than she did. Which isn't surprising. He's very outgoing, but they kind of gravitated from his circle of friends to her circle of friends. So she didn't really spend a lot of time with his friends, mm -hmm. but he spent a lot of time with her friends because she was very involved in the church. We're talking multiple days a week going to church. Is that, I guess that's not that strange, but. That's not that strange. <laughs> that's, that's normal. So in December, 2012, Jordan and Cody got engaged. She had posted a picture of her engagement ring on Instagram with a caption saying, best early Christmas present ever, with a ton of exclamation marks. And this girl really likes her exclamation marks. We will see that later as well. Okay, so Cody's friends were actually surprised by this engagement. They thought Cody seemed more into Jordan than the other way around. They thought she seemed cold and distant. Cody's friend Cameron even tried to talk him out of getting engaged which that's bold. He had said that their interactions with each other didn't seem happy. They didn't seem to have a loving relationship that you would normally see, and it just seemed awkward to him. Jordan's friends said she didn't seem very interested in Cody, and they didn't think she was attracted to him at all, although they couldn't understand why. So her friends are also a little surprised by this engagement. So I think people just thought, they're dating, but maybe they're not that into each other and figured it would fizzle out. And then all of a sudden, the couple is engaged, right? Well, keep in mind, she doesn't believe in premarital sex. So maybe there's a timeline driving this or a motive driving this timeline, I guess. Okay, so Jordan worked diligently on planning her wedding. She seemed very happy. Her friends started to think, okay, maybe like this is what she wants. Maybe she's happy. Right. It's the first time that she really shows excitement for the relationship, at least to her friends. So they're like, oh, so maybe this is what she's been waiting for. Maybe this is what she needed to make her happy. So Jordan was noted to have cold feet and mentioned to many people that she wasn't sure about it. And she even talked about calling off the wedding. 
Jordan's friends, of course, recommended that she talk to Cody about her reservations. But since Cody never mentioned this or seemed to have any doubts himself, it was unclear if she actually ever shared those fears with him because he never mentioned it to friends. He never mentioned it to anybody. So her friends assumed that she never actually talked to him about it. They were married on June 29th, 2013. They had an outdoor ceremony. They spent their first night as a married couple in a hotel in Big Forks. Only one night. It, they didn't go on a honeymoon at all. So that's kind of strange, but they are young and maybe don't have the finances to go on a honeymoon. But they had already moved in together, but per the requirements of Jordan's religion, they hadn't slept together yet, but their rented house was all ready for them with their stuff in it. This is concerning. So Jordan called her friend and confessed after their first night together. They still had not consummated the marriage. And she also confessed that she thought she might have made a mistake and was having a bit of a meltdown. Her friend said to give it a little time to adjust. She assumed that Jordan was just panicking over this new life and environment. She'd had a sheltered childhood. She'd only lived with her parents before. So she assumed maybe she's just having trouble adjusting. You know, not consummating a marriage is terms for an annulment. A what? It's not consummating a marriage is terms for an annulment. Yeah, what does that mean? What does what mean? An annulment. Oh, it, so an annulment is when your marriage is canceled. So instead of having to get divorced, you could file for an annulment. And one of the reasons that you might be granted an annulment by a judge is that you were unable to consummate your marriage. That's a real... It, that's a real thing. That is a real thing. It's a real thing. Madison's looking at me like I'm just making shit up today. I don't know. I'm not. I feel like you are making... <laughs> I'm not. Getting married is like a legal thing. And it's just like, oh, we didn't have sex. Can we just cancel this? Okay, so, so say you marry somebody and then they have no interest in having sex and you're unable to have sex with them for some reason. The courts say that's a good enough reason to cancel the marriage where you don't have to be divorced. Are divorces really that big of a deal? Divorces are a big deal. A divorce can lead to split properties. It can lead to split finances. It can lead to alimony. It can lead to all sorts of things that you don't have to deal with if you get an annulment. A couple days later, she met with her friend and told her that the wedding night had been a disaster. And I, I think this is the same friend, but it might not be. So don't quote me on that. But Kim seems to be the friend that she communicates with the most. And this was also her maid of honor. Jordan admitted that they did not have sex and that she just didn't want to. I, if I'm Kim, I'm getting concerned now. <laughs> yeah. If I'm Cody, I'm getting real concerned now. She messaged her friend Kim over the next couple of days about not wanting to have sex again. And even saying that she was going to use the my period started that night excuse. Jordan said that he was asking her to do stuff that she didn't want to do. When her friend suggested that she tell her husband how she felt, Jordan responded with, I feel like it's my job to make him happy even if I'm miserable. So one week after the wedding, she told Kim that she still hadn't had sex and she felt like she was running out of excuses. Oh my God. One week. They're, they're newlyweds. They've been married for a week and they haven't had sex yet. This is crazy. I just don't know why she agreed to marry. What? On July 7, 2013, so this is eight days after the couple is married, Cody had made plans to go kayaking and golfing with his new father-in-law. 
At church that morning, though, he told his father-in-law that he couldn't make it because Jordan had made other plans. So Cody had lunch with a couple of friends, and this is after church. So they went to church that day, and then after church, Cody had lunch with a couple of friends. He told them that he had changed his plans that day because Jordan said that she had a surprise for him. And his friends said that he seemed to be in a very good mood about whatever this surprise was. I'm assuming that he thought that it was sex. Of course he thought it was going to be sex. What other surprise would be a good surprise at this point? The couple then attended the evening service and then went for a bite to eat with friends at Dairy Queen. Cody's friends asked him what the surprise had been and he said that it hadn't happened yet. The couple left Dairy Queen around 8 p.m. Now, I find this a little strange because maybe Jordan didn't give him a time frame for her plans or for what the surprise was, but why would he need to cancel golfing or kayaking with his father-in-law if at 8 o'clock they still have not? I'm assuming that he thought it was going to be earlier in the day. So I'm assuming she just didn't give him a time frame, but said that she had plans. So Monday, July 8th, Cody fails to show up for work. And he had also not been in contact with his family. Now, one little tiny input here. This is the next day. People hung out with him until 8 o'clock the prior night. So him not showing up for work the next morning. I find it interesting that people are, that this is concerning already. Yeah. Anyway. Cody and his boss were good friends, and he was concerned, and he actually went to go look for Cody. Which, again, I find this strange, but okay. Maybe he was just so reliable that his friend is like, something's wrong. He actually said that he broke into the house to look for him, and he found Cody's phone in the garage. Which, I don't know what level breaking into the house is. Maybe it was unlocked. Maybe he knew where the spare key was. We don't really know the level. I don't think he busted any windows out or anything like that, but he did get into the house to look for Cody. Without luck, he started calling Cody's friends and family. He was so concerned that he actually went to the police station and filed a missing persons report. Yeah, and I I don't think he filed the technical missing persons report. I think he just went to the police station to talk to police, and I think his mom actually filed the technical report the following day. But this is what started Cody being on police radar. Police naturally start questioning Jordan, right? Since she's the last person that saw him, she's his wife. They're wondering why she's not at the police station concerned about him. But according to Jordan, the day went like this. They went to church. They spent time at the lake. Around 5.30, they went back to church. They then went to Dairy Queen. As they were leaving Dairy Queen to head home, Cody got a call that lasted about 30 minutes. He was upset and agitated by the conversation. As he was cooling off, she realized that her phone was dying and that she had left her charger at work. By the way, I don't know anybody that only has one charger. I only have one charger. Yeah, but we have like 10 combined in the household. Do we really? Well, I have one in my car. I have one in my bedroom. Your sisters have chargers. Shed has an iPhone charger because his work phone is an iPhone. There's a ton of chargers in this house. You're just not allowed to touch them. I only possess one charger. But I feel like most people at least have a charger for their car and a charger for their home. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. My, I don't have a car charger. I don't have that ability, so. Huh. So I guess Maddie's one of those weird people. So she actually left to go get her charger, 
And while she was gone, she got a message from her husband saying that he was going out with some friends for a drive. And this is like nine or 10 o'clock at this point, right? When she gets home, she arrives just in time to see a dark sedan leaving the driveway that she thought she remembered having Washington plates. She did say that he often went out joyriding with his friends late at night, so this wasn't that uncommon. He is a car guy. Yeah. She said that she was worried that he had just taken off and that he would be mad at her if he came back and she'd reported him missing. Yeah, and I mean, I can kind of understand that to a tiny bit of a degree. If I was a new wife, if I was insecure, especially about being a new wife, if I was young and my husband took off, I'd be like, um, what do I do? But the fact that his friends and family were so concerned probably should have been a bigger red flag for her. So Cody's mom showed up at the station. She was able to provide a Verizon printout of Cody's phone records. So I'm guessing his phone was still under his mom's name. But either way, she had access to it. So police were hoping that it would tell them who had made that call. Of the 30-minute call that they had, that Cody supposedly had after Dairy Queen. Supposedly. I'm not getting into this. <laughs> I'm not getting into this one. Okay, so there was one call from a Washington number, and it belonged to a man named Jose. So when police called him to ask why he'd called Cody, he said that he called him about a torch wrench that he'd borrowed, and he was calling him to let him know that he'd found it. Yeah, and this didn't really seem like the angry call that Jordan had described, so police were a little confused. They looked into Jose a little more, but were able to completely clear him when they discovered that he was at the hospital with his wife and that she was in labor. But why was he calling I don't him know. torch wrench? <laughs> I'm guessing that maybe he had called Jose and been like, hey, do you have my torch wrench? And he called him back and was like, oh, yeah, I've got your torch wrench. Side note, I'm at the hospital. So friends and family printed out flyers and checked hospitals, and they kept trying to get more details from the very calm Jordan, who was very vague. So at one point when friends kept questioning her about where she thought he had gone, she became agitated and at one point took off her wedding ring and threw it across the room. Which was kind of shocking to them, I think. On July 10, 2013, Jordan calls a friend saying that she received an email from a man named Tony. It read, Hello Jordan, my name is Tony. There is no bother in looking for Cody anymore. He is gone. I saw your post on Twitter and thought I would email you. He had come with some buddies and met up with me on Sunday night in Columbia Falls. He was saying he needed to be with buddies for a bit and take them for a joyride before they go. He said bye to me and they took him in a black car for a ride. Three of the other guys came back saying that they had gone for a ride in the woods somewhere and that Cody got out of the car and went for a little hike. And they are positive that he fell and that he is dead. Jordan, I don't know who the guys were, but they took off. So call off the missing persons report. Cody is for sure gone. Tony. That's real suspicious. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that if you were going to send an email to somebody about that, that's not the way that you would phrase it. You wouldn't. I, I actually, we'll talk about that too in a little bit. I did think the wording was a little strange on that, but we're going to get into that. Okay. So Jordan seemed super calm. Her friend was like, what are you doing? Get yourself to the police station. Yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> what the hell are you doing? Why are you calling me? Go to the cops. 
So she went with her mom to the police station because she didn't want to go by herself, I assume. I would assume, yeah. She said that the email was from Tony and the email address was carmantony647 at gmail.com. So police did ask her, do you guys know anybody named Tony? To which she said, well, actually, Cody did work with a guy whose name was Tony and his last name did start with an S. She gave them his contact info. So police naturally brought him in for questioning. Mm Mm-hmm. He said that he had not seen Cody in quite some time and that he didn't have that email address. He gave them full access to all of his information and police were able to rule him out. Yep. Cooperate. If you're not guilty, cooperate. So police started working with Google in order to track the IP address, which from what I have heard is a very daunting task and is not easy. Right? So we already know that Google won't give police or people personal information from people's Google's accounts, but they can track IP addresses with a warrant. They also got subpoenas for Jordan and Cody's cell phones and then waited because that's what you do a lot in police work. It's it's not CSI, you guys. They're not solving it in one hour, right? So we, we got some waiting around to do now. Okay, so later that day, Jordan called some friends that were searching and she said that she wanted to go search an area of Glacier National Park. Her friend said she still didn't seem concerned. She was actually listening to the radio, you guys, singing along and wearing Cody sunglasses, which her friends thought was very strange. They reached the park and searched some trails, but it started to get dark and they decided to go back the next day. Yep. So on July 11, 2013, Jordan and some friends, along with her brother Michael, he was 16, by the way, as soon as they arrived... Jordan began heading down the loop trail. So there's like a parking spot off the side of the road and then she immediately starts heading down the loop trail. It's a very popular trail, it has beautiful views. She led the group to a spot where Jordan stepped over a retaining wall and heads down a steep trail to like an edge where she begins leaning over quite a bit actually and suddenly yells out, I see a body. Maddie is shaking her head right now. They can't get any closer to verify if it's Cody and nobody else can actually even see the body from where they're at. But they go back to, I think it's Lake McDonald Lodge is what it's called, to call the ranger. So there's probably not cell service there, I'm assuming, right? So Jordan led authorities to the location of his body. The rangers thought this was very odd. Yeah, well, I think it's really uncommon that loved ones are actually the ones that find the missing people, right? It doesn't happen very often, especially in a situation where she immediately just leads a group of people straight to where he is. But don't worry, she has a reason. She said that the Holy Spirit led her there. Yep. So Jordan said that she had gone looking there because this place was on his bucket list and he wanted to see it before he died. Don't like that. Don't like that wording. Don't Mm -mm. like it. So it became too dark for investigators to get down to the body, and they stationed a ranger at the top to wait for daylight. This is kind of a weird thing that happens, and I'm throwing it in here because it happened at the same time that this is going on, but I couldn't actually find any information about this in the court documents. It's hard to verify, but that same day, a detective who had interviewed Jordan earlier in the day was walking his dog. He happened to live in the same neighborhood as the couple and he noticed something sticking out of the garbage can in front of the couple's house. Inside was a stack of love letters, teddy bears, and valentines and part of a wedding dress. 
He took the bag, he dumped it on his garage floor where he photographed everything and then put it back on Jordan's doorstep. Which, one, evidence, I'm assuming that this was never in the court documents because it was not handled properly. So on July 12th, 2013, investigators actually had trouble visually locating the body. Before they could go down into the gulch, one detective tied a rope to himself and a tree in order to lean out enough to see the body. They don't feel like they can safely go down, or they can't go safely, but they don't feel like they can risk their lives to go into this gulch if they can't even see the body from the top of it, right? Because all they have is Jordan saying that she saw it down there, but it was really hard for the detectives to actually see it. So investigators made their way down. And they couldn't go straight down. Instead, they had to hike in zigzag route in order to get to the body. Yeah, it was pretty sketchy, too, from what they describe. You know, they're ledge walking. They're having to traverse. I mean, it was a difficult area to get down to because they didn't have climbing gear and stuff like that with them at the time. His body was found laying face down in a pool of water at the base of the cliff. Cody had fallen more than 200 feet to his death. The coroner was brought down the cliff to examine the body before it was moved or lifted out. Cody had no jewelry on him, not even a wedding ring. I don't know if he was known to wear a wedding ring or not, but that is mentioned. He had obvious signs of trauma. They found his ID in his pocket and were able to identify him as Cody. So a helicopter was brought in to remove Cody's body from the mountain. It was lifted out of the ravine in a yellow mesh body bag to higher ground, and then it was put into the standard black body bag. Hmm. So the coroner's report showed that Cody had an eight-inch gash on his forehead. He had lacerations on his legs and arms as well. His shoes were found some distance from his body, and a sock was with one of the shoes. He also had several broken ribs. His COD would be ruled as blunt force trauma, so pretty consistent with falling off a cliff. There's nothing really suspicious. So there was also a black cloth found near his body. In this cloth, they found human hair embedded in a knotted area of the cloth. Which led investigators to believe that he may have been blindfolded when he fell from the cliff or was shoved off the cliff. It was also evident that he went off the cliff face first. The cloth, however, would later come into question, and there were questions around how it was handled or bagged. So shortly after he was found, Jordan posted a picture on Instagram. So the caption read, Miss you so much, Cody! Exclamation mark. Not a day goes by where I don't think about you! Double exclamation mark. You will live in my heart forever! Double exclamation mark. I know you're in a better place now, looking down on me, double exclamation mark. You're my angel, double exclamation mark. Love you with all of my heart and soul, double exclamation mark. See you again one day, triple exclamation mark. Remember, I said this girl likes her exclamation mark. So his funeral was held a few days later. Jordan was reported to be on her cell phone the entire time. She also refused to talk to Cody's mom, and this was rubbing some people the wrong way. Well, and we've said it before, you never really know how people are going to handle their grief, right? So her not talking to the mom or her being, or her seeming to be distracted, I don't know that all of those would be severe red flags for me, but it is a strange way to behave at your husband's, your new husband's funeral. There's a lot of times that she's been acting 
Strange. So while questioning friends and family, police learned that Cody was terrified of heights. They found it odd that he would be on the edge of this very scary cliff in the first place. This made them think that foul play might be involved. I'm thinking foul play is involved. Right. So, I mean, initially it could have been assumed that he accidentally fell off the cliff, but things are starting to head in the direction that they don't believe that's the case. And you guys, multiple people actually called the police to voice their suspicions about Jordan. We had another case like that where police had multiple people call them to implicate the spouse. And actually, I think it was the Till Death Do Us Part episode, which was also hiking on a cliff, husband and wife. Wife goes off the cliff. Hmm. Jordan's friend and maid of honor. So this is Kim again. It's one person, yeah. Came into the police station and revealed some unsettling messages that she had gotten from the new bride. Well, and I don't know at what point these became unsettling, but basically she told police about the conversations she had had around Jordan regretting the marriage, about them not having sex. She said that Jordan had planned to talk to Cody that Sunday on the 7th, and that around 9 p.m. Jordan had sent her a message saying that she was going to talk to him about being unhappy. The friend responded with, I'll pray for you guys. And Jordan responded with, but dead serious, if you don't hear from me at all again tonight, something happened. Later, she sent her a message saying, I'm going to go for a walk or something, jump off a freaking bridge, I've lost it. She assumed that Jordan was just being dramatic and didn't hear from her the rest of the night. Now they've heard back from Google and discovered that the email IP address had come from Jordan's mom and stepdad's house. Mm-hmm. Her 16-year-old brother also lives there. Police started wondering if the family was involved somehow. So they interviewed all three family members and were left without answers. They got data from the subpoena on Jordan and Cody's cell phones. They discovered that both cell phones were in Glacier National Park and they checked the security cameras... And wouldn't you know it, they're both on it. Yeah. Things are looking a little more suspicious, I think, at this point. I would say so. So, on July 16, 2013, Jordan was brought back in for questioning by the FBI. So, remember, this happened on federal land. So, the FBI has been a part of the investigation as well. She was questioned about their relationship. She minimized the issues about her regretting getting married and things like that. And then they laid out their evidence. They knew the email was a fake. The address was bogus and had been created on a computer in her stepdad's home. They also had the cell phone records. After even more denial from Jordan, they revealed that they had video surveillance of her and Cody entering the park about 9.15. Cody had been driving and she was in the passenger seat. So at this point, she finally relented and said that she had indeed been in the park that day. But that it was just a terrible accident. She said that they had made the hour-long drive to the park at 9 p.m. to discuss their marital problems. Something I like to do when I'm having marital problems is drive an hour away late at night to discuss them. Okay, she said that Cody had used the bathroom and that they both went over the retaining wall. For more privacy, I'm assuming. And they both, but Cody had to use the bathroom and they both went over the retaining wall? It was at this time that Jordan claims she decided to tell her new husband that she wasn't happy. 
great time in the dark when he has to pee when you're climbing down a cliff. Perfect. So she claimed that as they continued walking in the dark, that the argument intensified. Yep, definitely something I would do as well. And keep in mind, they're off trail at this point, right? They've gone over the rail that you're not supposed to go over. And they are off trail in the dark near a cliff. This paints a very interesting picture in my head. Yeah, so they climbed down this rocky, steep slope to the edge of a cliff and uh, just continued arguing, I guess. Seems like a really good idea. So Jordan claimed at this point that she didn't want to go any further because she was afraid that he might fall. That he could fall. Yeah. She claims he made a remark about being able to do it blindfolded without falling and that she shouldn't worry. Police immediately wondered if that black cloth had been used as a blindfold. Because remember, hair was found in a knot on the cloth, right? My head hurts. It's just a comment that like kind of peaked there because they had already been thinking maybe that had been tied around his head. Yeah. And now she's making a comment about a blindfold. So their arguing intensified and she said that Cody grabbed for her arm and that she pulled it away out of his grasp. She said that at that point she could have walked away, but because she was angry due to prior abuse, that she wasn't going to be the victim this time. And she put one hand on his shoulder, one hand on his back, and shoved him with both hands, face first, off the cliff. But she still says that wasn't her intention. She says that she just meant to shove him because she was mad and that he happened to fall off the cliff because of it. She didn't feel like she really killed him because it was an accident. Yeah, she said she wasn't really thinking about where they were. She just pushed him in the heat of the moment kind of thing. She also did say during this interview, I felt like I shouldn't have gotten married at that time, but there were not any issues with being with Cody. I felt like he was the person I was going to spend the rest of my life with. So she's basically saying, yes, she felt like she shouldn't have gotten married, but it wasn't because of Cody. It was just because she wasn't ready kind of thing. So at this point, she ran back to where the car was parked. She had the keys in her pocket. Which is interesting because he drove. Yep. So she drove home an hour, you guys. Not once did she call for help. And remember, she also has his cell phone because it's found in the garage at home. So she has his keys and his cell phone on her person while they're out on this little walk. She did text friends while driving back. She did not share with them what had happened, though. She messaged them instead about an upcoming church event. So, shock, shock, shock. She was arrested for murder. On September 9th, 2019, prosecutors secure an indictment for first-degree murder and lying to authorities. She had zero reaction to being arrested. She spent two months in jail. Then she was released into the custody of her parents until trial in order to undertake a psych evaluation. Probably a good plan. As you can imagine, there was a firestorm in the media, which is funny because I had never heard of this case before. No. So I I guess it was craziness though, which I totally get because a newlywed pushing her husband off a cliff eight days after they get married is kind of a big deal. In December of 2013, the trial began in federal court. So the case is really about intent at this point. Right, because she's already confessed to pushing him. So it becomes the prosecutor's duty at this point to prove that she intended to harm him on top of that mountain rather than it being an accident. 
They don't have to prove that she's guilty of pushing him. They know yeah, that she Yeah, she already did. said that she pushed him. Prosecutors called the murder premeditated, and they were asking for life in prison. The surprise that she had for Cody played a huge role in their premeditated theory. Because remember, he was telling his friends that Jordan had a surprise for him. Okay, they also planned to produce evidence that Jordan talked about killing to her mom. Nope. Or, wait, killing her mom and... What? <laughs> no, then how is this even a question? She... This isn't the first time she's tried to kill someone? So, basically, they are going to present evidence that she had talked about killing her mom and her stepdad five weeks before her wedding. And you'll see in a minute here what goes on with the trial, but we never actually find out what their evidence was for that because of the way that the trial goes. But they allegedly had evidence that she had talked about killing her mom and stepdad five weeks before. You know, casual things. That's what I do. You know. Good thing she's out on bail with them. I could find no information about any kind of life insurance, so it does not appear to be financially motivated, which is kind of the reason we see most, I think, in cases like this. Okay, so she pled not guilty. Shocking. And continued to claim that it was all an accident. Yeah, and this is where she kind of started to play a little bit more of a victim card, right? So she then began to say that she was fearful of having sex with her husband, So she said the thought of it actually made her physically ill and caused her to fly into a panic on a regular basis. Maybe you shouldn't have married him. I don't know. She claimed that this caused Cody to be enraged and that she was fearful of what he might make her do. She showed no emotion through any of the trial except when her 16-year-old brother testified. Oh, you guys. So he talked about how much he liked Cody and how he looked at him like a big brother and he was so excited when they got engaged. He had been with Jordan, remember, when she discovered Cody's body. He choked back sobs while describing his sister's lies. And Jordan actually wiped tears away for the one and only time throughout the entire trial. So apparently, killing her husband didn't bother her, but her little brother, thinking she was a monster, did. So according to the coroner, the first set of Cody he came across was a shoe that was about 150 yards away from the body. The next thing he saw was a black cloth. The next thing was the second shoe and one sock that were down the slope from the first. And then he talked about finding his ID. This isn't the first time that we've seen shoes fly off of another, of people falling from very... Yeah, for sure. The impact of somebody tumbling 200 feet down a cliff is going to make you lose a shoe or two. Yeah. I mean, we might be okay because we actually wear tall hiking boots. We are both boot wearers when we hike. So our boots might stay on if it's a small enough fall. But Mine for... will stay on for sure. My boots go to like my mid-calf. We also wear like military boots and not even hiking boots. So yeah, but normal, I mean, normal footwear is going to fall off. Oh, and then the coroner talked about his injuries. On day four of the trial, Jordan changed her plea from not guilty to guilty of second degree murder. This was part of a plea deal where the prosecutor would also take the charges of lying to the police out of her sentence. So at this point, she's being charged with first degree murder and lying to authorities. They're saying you plead guilty, we'll knock it down to second degree murder, and we'll take those additional charges away. What is exactly second degree murder? So that takes the intent away. That takes the premeditation away. Okay, that's what I thought. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and usually comes with a lighter sentence and usually comes with a chance for parole at some point. Okay. Remember, she's what, 20 years old? 21? She's really young still. Yeah. Okay, so she was convicted of second-degree murder and was sentenced to 30 years in prison. She showed zero remorse and never apologized for her actions. She did say that she had no answers for what happened that day. Okay, so the day before her sentencing, she actually attempted to withdraw her guilty plea. She had seen that the prosecutor was seeking a max sentence of 50 years, which is the max you can get for second-degree murder. So I think she was hoping with the plea deal that it would be a lot less. The judge denied her plea sentenced her to the 30 years, and then gave her a five-year probation sentence to follow it. She was also ordered to pay $16,910 in restitution to defray the cost of recovering her husband's body along with a $100 special assessment fee, whatever that is. I'm guessing she has zero money, though, at this point. So, you know, a lot of times in these cases, some sort of monetary amount will be put on things and never actually gets paid or the money that they can make in prison is forced to go towards that instead of other things so she made a rare display of emotion when telling cody's friends and family i still love cody she said if he was still alive she would tell him every day she said i ask myself daily why i didn't make different decisions but yet she has yet to come up with an answer of why she did it so She also said it was a moment of complete shock and panic, and I have no other explanation. She also said, I can't believe the amount of pain that I have caused you. She also said, life is precious. It's a special gift, and I need to learn how to cherish it. But wait, she followed that up with, it's too bad it took a tragedy for me to learn a simple lesson. Cody's mom responded with this, today and every day, I feel like I have a broken heart. She recalled moving from California to Kalispell in 2002, looking for a safer place to raise her only son, who was a teenager at the time. Her dream was to be a grandmother. She said, this isn't how their journey was supposed to end, and she requested the max sentence. Cody's uncle was a little less nice, I guess. I don't know. He said, although he didn't share his nephew's beliefs, he believes in the biblical mantra of an eye for an eye. And he said, I believe Jordan should rot in prison. Because obviously, an eye for an eye can't be delivered in this case, right? So, yeah. yeah. So, Cody's aunt said, there are only two people who know what happened, one of whom is still making false statements about it. Right. So, she's basically saying, there were two people there, only one is left, and they keep lying their little butt off. So, how are we to believe or know what actually happened? Okay, so another uncle recalled a family trip to Glacier National Park, but said him and his family could no longer enjoy the park. He said that Jordan had turned it into a grave site. Although the hanging tree is no longer accepted in the society, neither is murder. Cody's friends and family, they were not really surprised by this outcome. They had kind of suspected foul play all along. They said that Jordan seemed to want a wedding, but not to actually be married. So I am going to read Judge Malloy's remarks. In this case, basically he said, Jordan was a dishonest person who showed little remorse for killing her husband and has been impervious to the human consequences of what she did. I have reflected a great deal about this case, he said. I've tried to take into account everything. I have also sat through the entire trial and observed Mrs. Graham's behavior. 
Malloy traced Graham's bizarre behavior after she pushed her husband off the cliff, hinting that a degree of premeditation was present when she murdered him. After sending her husband plummeting to his death, Graham climbed up from the precipice and got into her husband's beloved car with both her husband's keys and his cell phone in hand. She then sent a text message to friends about an upcoming church event, boasting about her dance moves before immediately embarking on what prosecutors called a nine-day campaign to intentionally deceive friends, relatives, and law enforcement about her involvement in her husband's murder. I just don't find Graham credible, Malloy said. She lied from the beginning. That's one of the more strong statements I think I've heard from a judge, actually. Yeah. So her attorney filed an appeal in 2015, saying that her sentence was extreme. In 2016, the Ninth Circuit of Appeals denied the claim. Okay, so the real question in this case is why? Yeah, you guys. And we, I mean, obviously we don't know because Jordan is not being forthcoming about any of the situation. I don't think we'll ever know. But I'm here to say I really think there is something mentally wrong with this girl because I just do not see a normal, healthy, young woman behaving this way without something terribly, terribly wrong. And if she really was this fearful, I I can't imagine why. Like, that makes me think there is some major trauma somewhere along the way. If she's being honest, if she really was in fear for her life, if she really was so scared to have sex with her husband that she was willing to go to these extremes, then there has to be something wrong there, right? You know what actually bothers me a lot in this case? What? The email. The fact that she went to her father's house or her stepfather's house and concocted this email to herself? Yeah. I I feel like that's so far beyond a normal thing that somebody would think to do. I cannot understand it. No, that's not normal. And you can't tell me that there was no premeditation. Like if, Also, I feel like that if it's not premeditated, why wouldn't you just call the cops? Y- when it happened. Yeah. yeah. Why wouldn't you be like... Even if it was premeditated, she would have been in a better situation if she had called the cops right away and claimed an accident. Yeah. And she might have even gotten away with it. Oh, and another thing too, if she is this religious... Divorce is not an option. So if she did get herself into this situation, being young and dumb and thinking she was in love and then realized immediately that she regretted it and wanted nothing to do with it, what extremes would she go to in order to get out of it? Do you know what I mean? If divorce is not an option. So that was our parasite case of Jordan and Cody. Let us know what you guys think. Let us know what your opinion is on this because we just kind of tend to think the worst, I think. Um, I think she killed him because she just didn't want to have sex with him. Extremely irrational and was like, I don't know what else to do. I'm out of excuses. I need to kill him. Okay, but why? Why is she so scared? She, there... There's something a little... There's something wrong there, for sure. You can do more research on this case. I think there's a couple podcasts that have done it. I know that Snapped, which is a Dateline show, I think, they did an episode on it a few years ago. So there is more information out there. You can roam around if you want, or you can just assume that we got you the majority of it and feel good about that. Because we do. I do. 
a lot of research for these cases, you guys. So that's our case today. Go follow us on Instagram. Yeah, you guys, follow us on Instagram. Share us on your stories. We love... Follow us on Facebook if you still use that. Yeah, (laughs) So we were just talking about this today. Our Instagram has a lot more interaction than our Facebook. And maybe that's because Maddie and I are both on Instagram a lot more. But we'd like to grow our Facebook too. So share us on your Facebook as well, I guess. If you can, go give us a review on Apple... Um, we'll post some photos and different things for this case of course yeah absolutely so yeah thanks for listening and we'll see you guys next week bye you need to finish that their hash brown soon I can't eat a lot of it I have to eat it in small increments Madison's super hungover this morning, so that's where we're at right now. Yeah, I hurt real bad. Which, again, it's like the sunburn last week. It's her own damn fault. So I have very little sympathy for her. Sympathy. It is my fault. I did this to myself. (laughs) But it means that she has McDonald's in here, you guys. And we're not fast food eaters Mm. in general. No. Uh, but we both do indulge in greasy fast food breakfast when we are specifically hungover. Yeah, because if I don't, then I won't eat anything else. It's like, it's almost like we can't reset or something. And I don't know if that's weird. Maybe that happens to a lot of people, but greasy McDonald's for some reason always helps my hangover in the morning. But I am hungover way less than Maddie's. So I haven't had to have greasy McDonald's in a couple years because... I know the magic art of moderation and being at least a little more responsible with my drinking than Maddie is. She'll learn or she won't. I mean, I know people, one who I was talking to this morning, (laughs) Hannah, who is still severely hungover on a regular basis. So, you know, that's where we're at. Anyway, and I had to wake her up this morning to record because she works at noon. Yep. She's like, yeah, I'll come home and and record, but I got to stop for food first. I'm like, oh, great. I'm going to be dealing with hungover, Maddie. Okay. This is what happens when you have to slowly eat your hangover food because you can't eat it fast before we record, but it interrupts us the entire episode. I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm dying. It's okay. Okay. Comfortable? So we're not freaking moving around like last time? I don't have the energy to move around but you need to muster some energy to freaking talk right now okay i can gather that but it's the moving that you won't have to deal with today yeah we'll see we'll see and you need to sit forward and you need to sit up and you need to stop moving okay i'm sorry i'm just really you're not gonna have a problem with me moving today well i thought because the way this started i just wanted to sit still in one place i knew you wouldn't be able to I've never, I've never, oh, I was, I dated one car guy, actually. Randy. Randy? Yeah, he, uh, he rescued me a couple times when I broke down, because I had a really, really crappy car. So he rescued me a couple times when I broke down, and then one time he helped me get my car unlocked at a movie theater parking lot, because he had a Slim Jim in his vehicle. Hmm. Which I think is a little strange. He was really into, like, old cars. He dressed like James Dean. Anyway, we didn't have cell phones back in the day. So if your car broke down, you were walking or getting a ride from someone. So, 
Yeah. So we're going to start here. I'd also like to say that it's ridiculous that I have to sit on stool before we even begin. Yeah. So I've taken the bed away from Maddie. I can't sit on a bed. I'm sitting on a stool. She now has to sit on a stool and she's kind of being a baby about it. But I don't know if you guys remember or not. Maddie gets a little too comfy sometimes. And when we were sitting on the bed in the bunker, she was very... I would say at least every five minutes, I'd have to tell her she can't lay down while we're recording. (laughs) So. You have me on a bed and put pillows there and expect me not to lay down. So now we've moved the bed out and we've moved our old recording table and stools into the bunker. So that's where we're at now. So Maddie's a little grumpy, but we're going to. I'm not sure how it's going to go. We're going to get past it. It's going to be okay. All right. Maybe it'll be okay. I need something to put my water on. The safe. Giant human-sized safe. There is a really big safe in our bunker. (laughs) I could fit in it. I wonder if there's air holes. I don't think so. I think it's fireproof. Don't don't climb in the safe. (laughs) That is my worst fear. That is my very worst fear. I am not afraid of really anything at all, but... It it is... Cluster... Like... Yeah. Cluster... It is literally bigger than Maddie. Yeah. You could fit like three me in that safe. It's true. Yeah. So without having our bed, it's harder to set our water bottles on the floor and our table is really small. So we're just trying to figure out where to put everything right now. Yeah. Yeah, Oh, by the way, before I play this clip of Madison unable to pronounce many, many words throughout this episode. Wait, are you actually putting me mispronouncing words Oh, yes. Yes, I am. I've been saving them as I edit. So I want it to be clear that it's not because she's ignorant or can't read. It's because she's very dyslexic. And so when she looks at a sheet of paper. Or especially a computer screen. Yeah, because we're we're using, we're trying to save paper. We were printing out our episodes, but Madison was real loud with moving them around. And we were wasting a lot of paper. So we went to using the computer. And so staring at the computer and trying to pick up some of these words is difficult for her. So yes. I make fun of her. Yes, I'm going to post them for you guys. But it's not to make her look dumb. That's not the intention. It's really a dyslexic thing. Okay, where am I? Right at the top. Okay, so Jordan worked diligently. Diligently. So Cody was instantly drawn to her nature and... Natural. Her natural... Oh, he was... Cody was noted to... Jordan. Jordan. People that he wasn't sure about it. She... They met in... Kalispell. Kalispell? Mm-hmm. They met in Kalispell? Mon- Kalispell. Kalispell? Mm-hmm. Kalispell. Two exclamation points. Exclamation points. Exclamation. What was I saying? Explanation. Oh. Ex- <laughs> it's exclamation. Yeah. Exclamation. Okay. Ex- ex- exclamation. Exclamation. Exclamation? Exclam- I can't say that. <laughs> I'm noticing you said you've said exclamation weird before, but I didn't correct you on it. But because you're, it's a whole bunch. That's why I was calling you out. I'll just read it. Explanation, exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. Yes, kind of exclamation, exclamation point, exclamation, exclamation. That's really hard to say. (laughs) It's not though. They got the data from the, what is it? Subpoena. Subpoena. This case was really 
about intent. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Okay, so they also planned to... Pers- what is that? Produce. Produce. I'm so sorry. I'm feeling real dyslexic today. Mm-hmm. She showed no emotion through the whole trial. They tr- oh, my God. <laughs> I know what I'm trying to say, too. Okay, so... She showed zero remor- zero. Okay, so Cody's uncle said, although I didn't share my nephew's beliefs, even though Cody's uncle said, even though he didn't believe, even though he didn't share his nephew's beliefs, he still believed in the biblical mantra. What? You read that one. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Okay. So, hold on. In 2016, the Ninth Circuit, uh, the Ninth, in 2016, the Ninth, the Ninth, I got it, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. it. Prosecutors, what is it? Secure an indictment. (laughs) Did I say it backwards? Pretty sure. You say that all the time and you're always wrong. You're always (laughs) trying to make me re-record stuff that I didn't say wrong and then when we play it back, you're like, oh, never mind. I don't trust my ears. I can't take it. <laughs> I can't say it correctly. Supposedly. It's with a D, not a B. Supposedly. S- supposedly. That, there you go. Supposedly. No. That's what I want to say. It's That's not the word. Ugh. Okay. I understand that it's not the word. I get it. It just makes me uncomfortable to say it the other <laughs> way. The real way. I have a few more issues with grammar than Maddie does, even though there are... I, I have sayings, I have things that I say that are not correct English. Rather or not is one of them. I know it's not correct, but I literally cannot stop myself from saying it. I don't know why. But things like supposedly just drive me crazy. So we, we all have our, our things, you know. I, I can't say it correctly. It's like when people say anyways instead of anyway. I can't. I correct my coworkers on that one. (laughs) Well, at least you got one of them. Okay. There's so many. I didn't even use that big a word. Okay, go. Right now, take a deep breath, pull it together, go. Oh my god, I still have hoops in. Madison's also wearing giant hoop earrings that obviously she slept in last night. I literally can't, you guys. Okay, go. 